Oh, Father, now as we come to your word, I ask that you will open it to us. Father, thank you that you have chosen to speak. God, when you speak, stuff happens. Lord, we are here to hear from you now this morning. Speak to us of your love. Speak to us of your mercy and your grace. Speak to us, God, of your holiness, Lord. Um, as we come to your word, let us tremble at it. God, this is you speaking to us. God, you spoke and the world was created, and now you'll speak and you'll change our hearts. And so, God, we ask that you will come now and minister to us. We need to hear from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Risen Life. Good to see you. Yeah. It's great to have a three-day weekend and to enjoy family and friends and each other. It is an important thing to gather as God's people. We need the encouragement. And... Um, it is, I don't even, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't built church into my life from a young age, every week being there to hear from God and to learn and to grow, and it has been the foundational piece in my life as a Christian. So thanks for being a part of us. Hey, we are in Ecclesiastes. This has been quite a journey. This is quite a unique book in the, uh, in the scriptures, and we are in chapter 8. We're about three weeks from the end now. We're we're wrapping it up and moving toward the end. We've got some really great plans for preaching this summer. But we're going to finish up Ecclesiastes, again, chapter 8 here this morning. And it really is transitioning and really continuing in many ways uh, from Pastor Jared's uh, sermon last week in chapter 7, where we see in verse 1, it says, Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face gets changed. So this is saying that when we receive wisdom, we become wise people by hearing from God and applying his word to our life, that our countenance changes. Have you noticed this with people? That when they believe in Jesus and they experience his grace and his love, that it changes them from the outside. In the outside, it's radiating out from their heart. Growing up as a kid, um, we had this dear pastor, Pastor Milhorn was his name, and whenever he walked into the room, it was like Jesus walked in there. He was filled with peace and calm and grace. And, and I, I mean, it just, it just radiated out of him. But it's also true that when we live a life of many continued bad choices, you know, you've ever looked at somebody and kind of go, they lived a hard life, you know? A lot of choices that haven't been good and look tired and worn and stressed. And so we want to be people that walk with Jesus and walk in wisdom. It, it lights us up in really good ways and we become a bright witness to the world. And so that's the aim here of this text actually this morning to continue on this discussion of what it means to walk in wisdom. And so uh, we're going to do a look at three things. Um, authority matters to God, and then we're going to see in the middle section to take the long view as we look at life, and then finally I've tied to the last section uh, these few things I know. So let's look now at the authority of God and, and, and his transfer of authority and see that authority matters to him. Look, look at verse 2. It says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. So we're told in this verse to uh, submit to the authority of a king. Now this, this kind of goes great against the spirit of our age, doesn't it? You know, we don't do anything anybody tells us to do. Like we have a natural inclination to distrust and rebel against authority. 
It really reminds me of Judges 21-25 where it says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's kind of the spirit of our, our age. But this verse is saying something quite in contrast to that. It's saying keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now look, at God does some things here in this verse. He puts everybody that's in authority, as the Bible tells us, he puts them in place. And then he holds them accountable for how they lead. And so that's God's oath. And so now we are to, because God has put them in place, we are to respond to the leadership God has put there. Daniel 2.21 says God sets up kings and he takes them down at his will. Romans 13.1 says let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. All those in authority over us were put there by whom? God. And we are to submit ourselves to them. So we keep, our, we keep the commands given to us. Now, there's a couple pieces of advice here that shows up in verse 3. First one, it says, Do, be not hasty to go from his presence. And that really is speaking really of, a, of, a, of an ancient time um, issue of respect that when you had spoken to those in authority, if you left quickly... And rather rudely, it was an insult to them. Don't do that. Don't leave quickly from the king's presence. And we've got to remember, we're to show respect to those that are in leadership over us. We're so quick to criticize people in authority. So quick to criticize government. Sometimes there are things to be critical of, for sure. But we're so quick. We even speak evil of them. And so often we think we're smarter than them. Look at verse 4. It says, For the word of the king is supreme, and who can say to him, What are you doing? <laughs> right? This is what we were so inclined to say. What are you doing? Well, they're saying here, like Solomon's saying, like, be careful saying those words. God has put them in place, and our aim should be to make them successful. When, when Israel was in exile in Babylonia, they were told to seek the welfare of the city, Jeremiah 29.7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on their behalf for in their welfare you find welfare. And so we're to be careful to be supportive of those that are in government over us. But it also says another piece of advice for us. It says, do not take your stand in an evil cause. Now, that's kind of like, duh. Like, don't do evil in the culture. It's not going to go well with you with the government, right? Don't do illegal, evil things. It will not go well for you. Furthermore, it says in verse 5, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. So when you do well and don't do evil, you won't know evil coming back at you. It won't go poorly for you. This is why, why we follow them. It goes well for us. And then it says, going on in verse 5, And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way, for there is a time and a way for everything. In other words, there's a time to disagree. There's a time to say, that's not right, government. We should do this, Christians. But to do it shrewdly and do it carefully and do it respectfully, that's what's being said here. There's a way to do this. There's a proper time and a way to speak. And then in particular, it says, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. And so especially 
respect authority when you're in trouble with them. That's what Satan said. Okay? Act respectfully when you've done something illegal. You get pulled over, right? Be respectful. It'll go better for you. That's what Solomon's saying, right? You see people do evil in our culture today and then just rail against authority. And, uh, you know, I was blessed to have a youth pastor uh, when I was growing up and a teenager that really taught us this. And the verse that he spoke out of often was James 4, 6, where it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And how we respond to authority, parents and educators and government, um, various authorities that God puts in our life, we can either respond humbly or we can respond with pride. And he gives grace to the humble, but he resists proud and so I, I remember a, a day I was driving as a 17 year old and I I was coming out of our, our development where we lived and wasn't paying attention you know like sometimes I still do today you know driving and, and I rear-ended gently a state car in front of me <laughs> so, and um, and so I, I, mean, I have in my head you know like okay God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So I kind of like, went forward, like, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to try to be as humble and as gracious as I possibly know how to this state official that now is coming back to visit me in my car. And I did, and, and we, we, there was a small amount of damage, and we took each other's uh, information and so on, like we did in those days, and, and uh, went home. I didn't tell my parents about it. <clears throat> My dad comes home and he goes, I got a call from the police department today. Oh no. And he said, I am so proud of you, son. He said, the officer said that my son was so, your son was so kind to that police officer that we're not gonna even file a report about that accident. I learned my lesson. A really good way, right? to respect those who are in authority. Thankful for a youth pastor that taught us this. Now, there are some cautions, right? I mean, all of us have red flags up. But okay, Kevin, come on now. Because like, Acts 5.29 does say to us, right, and, and here, here's the authority saying, don't speak Jesus out there on the streets. Don't speak about him. That name of Jesus is not to be shared. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And so... We should never follow authority into sin. Never, right? That's when we put the brakes on. But when we are asked to do something that's wrong, we should be respectful and shrewd and honest and seasoned with salt, the scriptures say. But we must speak up with regards to unrighteousness and evil in our culture. We should do it. But to do it, Graciously. And really, people, because we stand in a culture that's moving away from God, right? We do. Let's pray for our leaders. And let's pray for opportunities to speak. And pray before you speak that you'll be gracious and be heard. Speak in a way that gives you a chance to engage in the culture with things that are not right. There's a way to do this. Now, uh, finally in this section, 
Solomon wraps it up um, by saying things are going to be really, really hard with authority. And, and the days are dark, and this is Solomon speaking in his day. Uncertainty abounds, and evil persists, and death is certain. This is Solomon's common message. And then he says in verse 9, he says, All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. And so this is the grievous situation where authority is acting in unjust and ineffective ways. And where our heart, and we do have this right in our heart, to long for a better day of leadership. To long for it. I think this is a good thing. And I believe all these texts are pointing us to the one who will reign and rule and lead perfectly. And his name is King Jesus. <laughs> That's the guy we're following. King Jesus. And he is reigning, it says in 1 Peter 3.22. He's sitting currently at the right hand of the Father in authority and power. And he will come and he will reign on earth. I believe he will reign a thousand years. You read Revelation, a lot of ways to handle that text. But it says he's going to come and reign for a thousand years. I'm looking forward to that day. I want to see King Jesus lead around here. Won't that be good? That's going to be a good day. And ultimately, he is Lord over all things for all eternity. Philippians 2, 10, and 11 tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> Jesus is our king. Jesus is my king. Let's submit all things to him. And he is building a kingdom. And all those who claim Jesus is their king are part of the kingdom, let's invite others to come into that sweet place of wisdom and joy and blessing in submission to King Jesus. All right. Let's move on now and look at the second section. And I've called this Take the Long View in Life. Look at verses 10 to 13. There is so much wisdom here. I love this. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Okay, so here's the situation. We have people who are behaving wickedly that are being buried with honor and praise, and we have people who have lived righteously treated the other way. And what's really disturbing about this section for me as I read it is these wicked were those that went in and out of the holy place. These were religious people. These were people that claimed something of, a, of God in their, in their lives. And it makes me cringe, right, that cringe that people that might call themselves Christ followers or God followers will act in wicked ways. And it makes me tremble that I could be one of those. You know, like this can happen to us. 
where the name of Jesus gets tarnished by our behavior and people who are following God see us act in ways that disheartens them and maybe even causes them to scatter from the church. And I think this is why 1 Timothy 3, when it speaks of leaders in the church, people that are leading should be first and foremost people of character. Not great talent, right? Not great business people, not great experience, but people of character. This is what matters most to God and to people that are looking for God in their lives. I'm I'm so thankful for the heart of a church that calls us out and, and, and encourages us deeply as pastors to protect our integrity. We just had a CLT meeting last weekend, and we spent a good amount of time talking about how do we protect the integrity of pastors and leaders in this church. And I'm so thankful for the heart of those around us. We've seen so much damage done by people who aren't paying attention to these pieces of wisdom. But these verses tell us to do something quite, uh, a piece of wisdom quite interesting. And, and that is, it says, look it, like God doesn't execute his judgment speedily. He doesn't. He takes his time. And me, for one, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> right? All of us should say amen to that. But this is why we wait sometimes. And so we don't want to make too much of any given moment. Any moment where it feels like the wicked are getting their way and the just are getting horrible things, don't make too much of that. This text tells us in the long run it will go well for the godly, and in the long run consequences of those who do evil will come into to judgment. Psalm 73 really says it really well where uh, David is is thinking on this he says for as for me my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked and he goes on and describes this whole thing but then he comes to this conclusion in verse 16 and 17 he says but when I thought how to understand this it seemed to me so burdensome that this was happening until I went into the sanctuary of God and I discerned their end Everything will be made right in the end. And God will bring into account all things that are evil um, in the lives of those who choose wickedness. So, so, so let's, let's recognize this about our lives, Christians. That as we walk through life, it really does cycle, right? It cycles through high points and blessing and pretty kind of easy times. And then it inevitably comes back down into harder times and difficulty and trials, and, and all of life cycles like that. This is what we are seeing in this text. In fact, uh, Max and Addie, um, Dietz got, were married yesterday up here. What a celebration, great day. Our junior high youth pastor, and they were married. And, and, and the vows they took was they're going to be faithful to each other in good and bad, sickness, health, prosperity, poverty, right? This is just an acknowledgement that it's going to be like this. It's true. But for the Christian, it's not just this. For the Christian, it's this. You see. And that's important. That God has taken us somewhere and he is doing a good thing. And it is the long run. And we want to keep our eyes on the long view. This is why Philippians 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. (laughs) 
don't, don't be given to extremes. Don't, get, don't overreact to your circumstances at the moment. They're just temporary. God is doing something good. And it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. He is working justice. He is working righteousness. It will be revealed in the end. So be patient. Let God do his thing and you just stay steady and walk with him. I've been deeply encouraged by uh, Charles Spurgeon. I've been reading a book about him recently and I found him a great encouragement. And, and if you know the story of Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of a few generations ago, um, he was greatly burdened by the brokenness in culture. It, it brought him to despair. I mean, he, he saw the evil, and it, it broke him. And he suffered just debilitating depression, uh, so much so that like about one Sundays and three that he was supposed to preach, he couldn't even get up to preach. This was a hard thing on him. He experienced upheavals and emotional distraught nature, and, and he just struggled. But he said, he said this, he said, God makes it hard on his people sometimes to keep them humble and dependent so that he can greatly use them. Isn't that encouraging? That's what he does, like, right? This is how he prepares us and equips us. None of us sign up for this, but we trust God with it. So we don't overreact to our situation, but realize over the long run, God is doing good things with us. Okay, let's look at the last section here this morning, and that is in verses 14 to 17. And I've entitled this, These Few Things I Know. <clears throat> Verse 14. <clears throat> there is a vanity that takes place on earth. That there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And I said that this also is vanity. And so once again he's restating what has been his uh, concern, his frustration, what feels meaningless to him. Um, and he's saying this is a confusing world that we live in. Like, right? You ever felt confused by what you see? He said, I don't, I don't understand. Look at verse 16. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one eyes see sleep. This person was struggling with sleeplessness. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out, the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And so he's saying, look at this, it's just confusing and I can't figure it out. I don't understand it. And I wake up in the middle of the night and think about it and I can't sort it out in my head. You ever had that problem? <laughs> right? Like, what am I going to do? I don't even know my path out of this situation. It's confusing. Things don't make sense and evil seems to reign and righteous people suffer. Like, what is going on here? Right? We all have experienced this. We see young people die. Like, it had such potential. Why, God, would you take them home? Right? Or we see really parents that would be great. Parents struggle with infertility, and then we see babies born in just impossible situations. We go, God, what are you, like, thinking? What is going on here? Or we see innocent people get harmed in a war they did not choose to be any part of. Right? We see that going on in our world. And we go, what in the world is going on, God? 
That's what's, that's what's happening in this little chapter right here. Now listen, Christians, we are not so much called to understand. That's not, like, that's, in fact, that's the point here. Like, we don't understand, but we are called to bring relief. We're called to bring relief to suffering, right? And we're to look for ways. We've been saying this in Ecclesiastes. All of us are to look for ways to relieve the brokenness of sin in our world. And I'm so thankful for so many families that I see just being, and I know there's been a, a Ukrainian family that many of you have been reaching out to recently, and what a blessing. Like, hey, let's all of us find our place. Let's, let's get to work. Let's relieve suffering. But let's not pretend that we can understand this. Let's not pretend that we have the answers. We don't. That's the point of this text. That's in God's mind. It's not us. There are way more things that we don't know than things we do. In fact, I was studying this verse, and I said, Jared, like, what percent of this, all the knowledge in the world do you think we know? Now, Jared's got a PhD, so he's got a higher percentage than me by about double, right? So, but Jared said, like, it's way less than 1%, right? Way less. We know very little, if we're honest. I, I just went to a PhD dissertation here a couple weeks ago. A good friend is in our neighborhood, and, and he's finishing up his, his PhD work, and he's doing great research on how to prevent the spread of cancer uh, through the body. It was really cool. And, and, and you could tell he had done good, really good work that was beneficial to the medical community. But then they opened it up for questions and said, okay, doctors, and I was just an observer, and uh, so I wasn't, had nothing to offer in terms of a question. I didn't even try to understand it. And, and they started to ask questions, and almost every answer he gave was this, I don't know. That's another five years of research. I don't know. That's another five years of research. There is way more that we don't know than what we do. And we've got to be good with that. That's what this text is saying. That is in God's mind. Let God be God. Let him be concerned with what we don't know. Let's humbly acknowledge that my ways are not your ways, God says. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. And let it evoke worship in us. Stand in awe of God who knows everything about every one of us right down to the finitest Adam. And worship. Let him be mysterious. He is. Stand in awe and wonder and he worship our great God who knows everything. So, let God take care of the things we don't understand. But then, and this is Solomon, crazy Solomon, right? <laughs> Here he does. One verse plopped right down in the middle of this whole question, right? Here he is. You've heard this before. And I commend joy for the man who has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of life that God has given him under the sun. There's our marching orders. Relax. Let God be God. Don't you try to be him. And enjoy the goodness of what God has blessed you with. This is a breath of fresh air. Rest in the godness of God and the goodness of God. It is not our job to solve the world's problems. It is our job to rest in his sovereignty and strength and enjoy the life he has given us. And be a blessing, right? And relieve suffering. Right? Enjoy earth. Nobody should enjoy planet earth like the Christian. 
We know the creator, right? Food, wine, jobs, family and friends, summer travels. We even had a dance floor out here yesterday. Our forefathers will roll over in their grave, baby. <laughs> what a great thing. That's a good day. That's doing biblical stuff. <laughs> but look at, let's remember, like, right? I think it was Athanasius that said this. Don't just enjoy the sun rays, right? The goodness of earth. And these are sun rays. Don't just enjoy the sun rays. Trace them back to the sun. Look at the creator from whom all these blessings flow and enjoy them. And enjoy that God and worship him. Let your enjoyment of earth turn into worship of a God that would give us so many good and blessed gifts. So, <clears throat> let me close this way. <clears throat> We are told in this section that we know very little. But let's just talk about what we do know. Because that really is what we're responsible for. And that really is what matters. <clears throat> and, you know, as I've gotten older, <clears throat> and gray has gone to lighter than gray, I have realized that there are very few things that I really actually know. But the things that I do know, I know with greater certainty. <clears throat> because I've experienced them over and over and over again. And this is the truth of the gospel. These truths I know. And, and so think with me. Let's just, let's just share these and recite these together. As things we know to be true. One is, is that I am a sinful person. And so are you. And the older I get, the more I see this, and it's grievous to me. <sighs> Though I probably sin less than I used to, my sin seems more grievous than ever before. Because I know better now. I have no excuses now. But I keep doing the same stupid stuff. And my problem is not a lack of self-esteem. My problem is not, and your problem isn't, and the world's problem isn't a lack of self-esteem. It's not. Our problem is that we fail to understand the depths of our sin and therefore fail to return to God and repent and ask for mercy. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we are more than ever before, and life teaches us this, sinful people. But this I also know, that God loves me. <laughs> his patience and his kindness are unexplainable. I'm staggered by this reality. We sing this song over and over again, <laughs> right? Over and over again, I'm singing the song. is shown over and over again. I don't know how many times in my life now it's countless where I go, oh, I've done it now. God's going to get me now. This is it. And again, he doesn't. Like, what the heck? Why are you so kind and loving and gracious to me? 
so I think of Psalm 103. It's, it's just this beautiful set of verses. And band, you can come on up. <clears throat> Where God says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So those two things I know, that I am sinful and God loves me. Here's the third one. <clears throat> I need someone or something outside of myself to rescue me from this situation. I have tried over and over again, again, to fix this myself. I've tried with everything I know to stop being sinful. I have tried everything I can possibly think of to keep, from, keep doing the stupid stuff I do. And I'm getting to realize that I can't do it. <laughs> I need somebody bigger than me outside myself. Right? This is the confession of the movement to free people from addictions is that we are powerless against our sin. I regularly do the things I hate, things I don't want to do. And the only one qualified to deliver me from this situation is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Perfect, sinless, powerful, risen from the dead, Jesus. This is the purpose of the cross that we're going to celebrate in communion here this morning. That Jesus died the death I deserve to die life that I never could have lived. It's incomprehensible. Jesus took my guilt, your guilt, our shame, placed on him at Calvary, lived a perfect life, and gives us his righteousness. So that the Father in heaven looks at us and he's as thrilled with us as he's thrilled with his son Jesus. Think about that just for a second dances over us rejoices over us complete approval complete delight just as Jesus stands before the Father and now I walk in nothing but mercy and grace and forgiveness and that fills me with joy you get a hold of that one right and who does completely right <laughs> Get enough of it to be saved. Jared and I talked about this. I would never get it all. It's way too good to be true. But it's true. And so, this un incomprehensible reality called the gospel takes a lifetime to understand. We're asked one thing. One thing only in response to it. Romans 10.9 says this, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of you. Right? This is your choice. Never mind what Pastor Kevin does or what those next to you today do. What are you doing with Jesus? Confess him as your Lord. Bow before him. And believe that he is resurrected from the dead. And the Bible says if you do those two things, you will be saved. Friends, loved ones, 
us this morning. The wisest thing we can do is surrender our lives to Jesus. Let's pray. So let's just take a moment now. Let God just deal with us just for a moment. It won't take long this morning, but there may be areas in your life that you held on control to. Eating you up, right? It's tiring you out, wearing you out. Let's surrender him to him this morning. If you've never given your life to Christ at all, like we're going to come to communion table, this would be a good day. Give your life to Jesus right now. Say, thank you for dying for me. I give you my life, Jesus. You do that and you're saved. And then you come and take communion with us this morning. Let's just take a moment. coming to reign forever and evermore. It is our great joy and pleasure to submit ourselves to you today. Be honored in our lives, and we pray in your name. Amen.